0: Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond, and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. I'm really delighted to welcome you to our podcast series, which covers an exceedingly wide range of topics impacting compliance officers in financial services firms. As if you are a compliance officer, you are all too well aware that the regulatory environment is ever-changing, and that world is getting even more challenging during the COVID-19 pandemic. For this particular podcast, it gives me great pleasure to once again introduce my colleague Mike Cowan. Mike has a wealth of compliance experience and will be discussing with me the 10 things compliance officers around the world will need to consider in 2021. Now, each year I look into my crystal ball and think about what are likely to be some of the top concerns for compliance officers in the coming year, completely regardless of financial services sector or even geography. Compliance officers of financial services firms really have risen to the multiple and myriad challenges of 2020, and they've dealt not only with the pandemic, but are continuing to manage all of those underlying issues that were already there. And if the point needed to be reiterated, risk and compliance officers have been and need to remain absolutely front and centre in preparing their firms for any and all eventualities. Now, one element that the global pandemic has made truly crystal clear is the importance of culture in a firm. An effective, risk-aware culture could perhaps be the most valuable asset a firm can develop and maintain. And as such, a culture will enable it and its employees to much better weather all of the uncertainty and change we're all going through. Now, one of the things that the crisis really has shown is that firms can change and adapt with speed when necessary. And you know what? That's great. But it is essential that firms take the time to assess what went well and indeed what went not so well when they invoked their business continuity plans at the outset of the pandemic. Being able to act at speed really is to be commended. But that does not change the rules, requirements and regulatory expectations applicable to firms. And the fact that firms will still need to be able to evidence both compliance and, of course, the required good customer outcomes. So set against that backdrop, um, regulators are seen to have had, shall we say, a good crisis. They've stepped up to the plate. They've acted quickly. They've implemented forbearance and they have done it at the high level, the right things in the right way. Now, it's key for firms that they should be able to say the same. In other words, they have weathered the crisis well. And that list of 10 things really is quite a lot. So what we're going to do is split the consideration of the 10 things into two. One to five, so that's business continuity, data protection, regulatory change, people governance and accountability, compensation and remuneration, we're going to discuss that in this episode. And then in the next episode of Compliance Clarified, we're going to cover the six to 10. So product governance, shifting skill sets, compliance resources and budgets, the digital transformation dependent on data governance, and last but absolutely not least, the personal accountability. So starting with number one, business continuity. It really has been a year when business continuity plans were flexed and tested in 2020. Now, business continuity plans are an essential. They are a way of planning for the unexpected, but also that you do need to be able to check that they truly worked as expected. Now, Mike, business continuity plans, I know, um, are something of a specialist subject for you what have you seen on the business continuity, and what should compliance officers think about in 2021? Well,
1: I, mean, I suppose first of all, Susanna, is what a list. You know, ten things there to rattle through um, within the half an hour or so that we've got, and I'm sure if you set those ten aside, you could come up with an equally with, with ten that are equally applicable. Uh, but I think that that, that these ten, um, to your credit, really do encapsulate um, what compliance officers are facing this year, and. I think they're very good tools for compliance officers to use to add to their own thinking, to guide them and to guide their risk registers and their regulatory plans uh, for the coming year. So that said, on business continuity planning, I think that at this stage, given a question like you've just asked. I would go into a diatribe about what good business pl- uh, continuity planning is and and the risks that it not only provokes but but um, uh, controls. But the year that we've had, I think t- speaking about the, the importance of testing and the importance of communication and the, the importance of having risk assessed systems and, and, and all those other good things is a little bit moose, to be honest, because everybody's been through this. They've tested their systems in the real life world. Um, and so their business continuity plans, in, in fairness, are probably the most thumbed reference documents in the whole of, the, of, of financial services firms at the moment um but that ne- nevertheless uh, the, the 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 reason i believe that this is in the top 10 priorities for this year is that there is still an absolute need to keep on top of these um i think i think you reflect this in 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 the, the article and uh, when i spoke with you you definitely you mentioned this to me mm-hmm. is that um you know the pandemic isn't going to be the first um uh, business disruption that we will have in in coming years with With politics and climate change and all the other good all the other good things that may or may not come at us you know business continuity plans really do need to be kept um, up to date on top of with a view to the future as well as the past I mean you let's not let's let's be honest we we need to review when they've been invoked what went well and what went badly um and they need to be they need to be um prime and used within an organization and I think that said, I think that not only that, but the regulators around the world from the Financial Stability Board all the way down to local regulators um, in various jurisdictions are also forming their views on, their, on the guidance, on their rules uh, per se, around operational resilience and how business continuity planners should form a part of um, you know, their regulatory regime. I mean, just as a footnote before we move on, um, just as a footnote to this. I think what where um, the Financial Stability Board and, and other organisations are with recovery and resolution plans is, I think they're pretty comfortable that um, operational recovery plans, you know, have worked, and there are, there are things in place or being put in place to make sure that the most systemically important firms do continue through a crisis like this. And and from an operational recovery perspective, that seems to have been the case. I think they're more concerned when it comes to resolution plans. Uh, I think they've commented that uh, substantial work remains to operationalize resolution plans for the, the, the systemically important firms. Uh, And and, and I think all jurisdictions, frankly, have plans in place to do that over the coming uh, months and and years. Um, But like I say, um, business continuity, yes, very important. Yes, we're all used to it, but still needs that level of attention and and diligence.
0: Absolutely. And and I think definitely for firms to review what went well and what went not so well, as, as I said in my introduction, um, mo- moving on to data protection. Now, I I thought long and hard about data protection in this list because it's been at least a couple of years since the general data protection regulation came into force. And that has become the benchmark pretty much around the world for how data protection is treated both at the policy level and then also in the practical implementation level. But it has become so critical and so fundamental to businesses that it's on compliance officers' agendas. And so many firms have data in a number of locations, in a different jurisdictions, and compliance officers really do need to make sure either it's absolutely monitored and tracked and under their control, or they know who's looking after it and how it's all working. I mean, as a matter of course, firms absolutely must have a robust central record of exactly what data is held where on on what basis. And that's just not that's not just good governance, but it's if you have to repatriate it or scoop it back in quickly, you've got to know what you've got where. Um, so Mike, given data protection is so central, um where what are your thoughts on what compliance officers need to particularly think about in twenty twenty one? Well,
1: uh, I completely agree with you that data protection is fundamental. It is it is the lifeblood of, of financial services, um, and uh, it impacts so much of what financial services do. And as financial services becomes a more global, um, integrated uh, um, industry, you know more so than it is now. Even uh, data beco- the, the need to transfer data across borders becomes absolutely imperative, um, and. You know, in, in past years, you're quite right that that compliance officers will have had data protection at the top of their uh, at, of their uh, risk registers, for example, um, um, for for other reasons because new um, rules and regulations were coming in around GDPR and and various um, things in the states and 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 various um, um, uh, data laws globally, frankly. And complying with those would have been key to, uh, to a compliance officer's uh, role in, in, in years years gone past. And just as, for example, we get GDPR so- sorted and, and 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 put to bed, suddenly we have jurisdictional changes and um, and and uh, for example, the Brexit issue within within Europe um is causing uh, data uh, data processes some problems at the moment um we, we the uk and the eu have until the end of march to come up with a suitable future solution to to data uh, protection around the equivalence of the uk regime um uh, until then things happen as normal but nevertheless um, compliance officers will have one eye on this on this argument uh, those that do um uh, uh, business within the within the eu and the uk to uh, make sure that their data processing uh, um um operations work effectively and are not, not hindered by what, or anything that, that should come out of that. And of course, um, around the world now, um, we're seeing, you know, fines not only in the financial services industry, but across um, um, industries where data breaches have occurred. And and some of these fines are, are quite significant. In fact, in, in Europe, the GDPR does allow for quite significant fines um, of, of firms. So uh, as you say, data and, and data data processing and data protection are are incredibly important for firms and therefore for compliance officers.
0: Yes, and, and just on enforcement, it is definitely an area for compliance officers to watch and track and to, just like they would with fines coming out of the financial services regulators, take the best practices out of The fines that are given on data protection to make sure they can protect their firms in the best possible way, and and it's a form of regulatory change, I suppose, as well. The different, differing, and evolving evolving interpretations of how the rules work, but the regulatory change agenda is simply relentless. It truly is relentless. I mean, on the good news side, um, the Financial Stability Board, which we've mentioned already, has said that it thinks that its previous iteration of big global change in the wake of the financial crisis actually did the financial services sector well during the pandemic crisis. And it meant that um, at a macroeconomic level, you know, financial stability was not impacted and that the firms had sufficient buffers and liquidity to really ride out the change or the the crisis and the changes associated with that crisis and to continue to serve their customer base. However, that means that the actual regulatory change agenda just shifts and moves on. Um, We are looking at regulators around the world understanding actually all of the regulatory change, is it working as intended? What else needs to change to keep things going? And we've got everything coming now from policy proposals on the resilience of money market funds, margining in derivatives markets, potential sources of procyclity um, in financial services regulations, crisis management frameworks, the list literally goes on and on and on. So, Mike, how can compliance officers best prepare for a relentless regulatory change agenda? I mean, it, it, I know it's something they're already familiar with, but how do they keep on keeping on in terms of regulatory change?
1: Well, actually, I've actually only got three things to say here here, here on, on, on this one. And that, and that sort of doesn't answer your question, but I'll, I'll try and do so at the end. So to, to add to what you've just said um, uh 2021 will be another another year for regulatory change. You're absolutely right. The, for, uh, my point number one is that the regulators continue to uh, pursue their their overriding regulatory agendas. And you mentioned a number of things there that that, 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 they're, that they're going to pursue. Um, I will add to that ball three LIBOR, climate risk, Islamic finance. Uh, as you say, there is a whole host of stuff that was is going to come out this year. I think also that they're going to play a bit of catch up. I think that um, Uh, There was rules and regs changed last year uh, because it was appropriate to do so. That they will, um, that they that that, that they parked, shall we say, last year, which they will now bring back onto the table, uh, and they will try and push some of those through. And the third point linked to that is that the the rules that they changed last year, they will then look to uh, to uh, revert to wherever the rules uh, were pre-pandemic or at least or an amended version to reflect the current post-pandemic world so you're absolutely right regulatory change uh, uh, big ticket how do compliance officers uh, manage this well i use the um, uh, the car analogy here in that if you're sat in a car looking forward um a compliance officers should have a um the up and coming regulations as prescribed by the various regulatory bodies in their headlights and have and be able to react to them at an appropriate appropriately um, um, a resource distance shall we say so that so that nothing is coming at them that there, there is a surprise. Sure regulators have that ability to present compliance officers with surprises but nevertheless uh, the compliance officers regulatory agendas should be looking forward should be looking forward to see what's coming at them. Once you're in the car, it's about it's about dealing with what's on the plate at the moment, what consultations uh, are, are are currently in play, what uh, rule changes are currently happening. How does the firm manage a, a specific regulatory issue for that time? And then the third point is, uh, as you probably guessed, is the review mirrors and looking back and making sure that. Things that have come up and have potentially been dealt with within the firm have actually been dealt with to the appropriate level of rigor uh, and are adequate for the for well. Let's be honest, the regulator um, to to ensure that your firm is is is, compl- is compliant.
0: Yes, and and I would add into that that firms really do need to engage with regulatory change. I mean, on so many levels. One, so they truly understand what's coming, but also to absolutely minimise the potential for unintended consequences of regulatory change. I mean, bad rules or impractical rules do nobody any favours. So firms, despite the fact they are incredibly busy, really do need to engage with regulators and carry on engaging with regulators on change.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Moving on to people governance and accountability, um this really is building on the impact of the pandemic itself. I mean, firms moved at speed for remote and flexible working, home working was instituted, firms had potentially large numbers of people unable to work because they were unwell. Um, it was a very fast moving target in terms of who was responsible for what, where, and when. And that's absolutely key. That firms stay on top of. Now, obviously, um, there's a great part for HR in terms of, you know, managing the people in terms of location and sickness and the need to self-isolate or whatever. But the compliance officer does need to be absolutely there to make sure that the people and the roles that are have responsibility are filled at all times. And if for whatever reason there are gaps and movement that you know, it is still clear who is responsible for what. Combine that with the fact that firms' governance processes changed profoundly during the pandemic, from you know, big set-piece in-person committee meetings to at-speed virtual key decision-makers meeting, perhaps on a much more regular basis. So there's a lot of consideration needed by firms and their compliance officers as to again, what worked well, what didn't work so well, what you're going to use going forward. Um, But Mike, on on the governance point in particular, what do you think firms and particularly their compliance officers need to really get a handle on in 2021, coming hopefully out of the pandemic? Let's fingers crossed that really is what we're doing. Absolutely.
1: I I share your hope for that. Um, But this, this point actually... Led me led me in two ways. Um, First of all, it led me to think about the future of a compliance function because, as you've said, in 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 an organizer in a wider organisation, people matters and and personnel issues are usually down to the HR function or or the equivalent and the line management responsible. Uh, But when you overlay things like monitoring of COVID protocols, staff sickness, you know the availability of succession plans. And, and then the, the adequacy of inputting all of that into operational resilience arrangements, then, then the boundaries of where a compliance function ends sort of become a little bit blurred. And... the second thing that the the, the path that it led me down was on a later point which we'll come on to but was on the personal accountability point and you know the 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 need for clarity and the need to ensure that everybody is 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 transparent about what their responsibilities are and how they're going about their, their work and you know this sort of blurs that for compliance officers a little um and it's very important that that things don't creep up and just develop uh, uh, you know underneath a compliance officer and the expectations are that compliance officers are monitoring the covid protocols and all of this sort of thing when perhaps the compliance officers uh, view is that that's not within their remit Mm. so all i'm saying is that things need to be need to be clear responsibilities need to be clear um it may be that in the future you know that the compliance role is changing and that's great I and mean, if that, if that's the way an organization wishes to develop a compliance function and that's the way they get the most benefit from it then great i mean there's a lot of other things to consider within that but on the face of it if they want to consciously move a compliance functions remit then as long as it's done in a in a controlled and transparent way then that's that's fantastic uh, but like i say it needs to be thought through and it needs to be implemented uh, um, correctly um, and so, um, yes, I, I, in in this point, my plea is one for clarity and transparency.
0: Yes, and, and I would add into that clarity and transparency that is documented and evidenced. So it is absolutely clear and retrospectively is also clear who was responsible for what. Yes,
1: completely. Um, Sorry, did you go on, Mike? No, I was just going. To, I was actually going to move on to, to because that is a that is a great link to a point you have got later on, which will we'll, which will come to. But um, the, the point I was going to make was that 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 is the, you know the point around changing responsibilities, clarity, and then documenting the whole thing is absolutely part of the foundations of you know senior management responsibilities and, and the various regimes that are out there um, around the world at at, at the moment. Um, because this is this is the reason why I, 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 why personal accountability is one of the ten you know priorities for mm-hmm. next year for compliance officers and let's be honest, senior managers across the organization. Um, you know, in 2018, the Financial Stability Board issued a toolkit for individual accountability. Uh, the the Ball Committee on Banking Supervision has issued corporate governance or, uh, principles for banks, which cover senior management responsibility. There's been insurance core principles around this by the International Association of Insurance Supervisors, and then in Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore, Ireland, you know, they're all they all have or they. Are developing their own senior management responsibilities mm-hmm. regimes, which are being well received by by the powers that be. And all of this changing responsibility, people governance, making sure that the compliance function is doing what it's doing, plays absolutely to evidencing um, the requirements from these uh, regulations.
0: And all of that. Also falls within the compliance function in the sense that compliance has to work out how it as as it in and of itself can discharge its obligations, and evidence it's done that. And then once that, if you like, protocol is in place, it can show everybody else, help everybody else, to show how they have discharged their particular responsibilities and obligations. And and that then actually flows on to the next point, which is compensation and remuneration, because. That's very much tied up in, well, you were responsible for X, Y, and Z. How did you discharge those responsibilities? How successful were you? And how is the firm planning to reward you for that? Now, the real focus on compensation and remuneration goes right back to the financial crisis of 2009. And the FSB, which we've mentioned quite a lot, put out both principles for sound compensation standards and then implementation standards, Now, to be clear, they didn't say your bonus structure will look like this. It simply tried to set out the guidelines to say that you should not have a remuneration bonus structure reward system that rewards inappropriate risk taking. I mean, inappropriate risk taking, undue risk taking was seen as one of the root causes of the financial crisis. So that was one of the elements that the FSB was seeking to tackle And now here we are, what, a dozen years later, and it is still a work in progress. And that, I think, particularly given 2020 was such a rocky year, and people will be looking very hard at remuneration and bonuses. Again, compliance needs to be front and centre in helping make sure that the firms are rewarding appropriate levels of behaviour. Now, I've said it's still a work in progress, but there is now a terrific example of how compensation and remuneration and clawback may actually be working in practice. Um, I'm sure everybody listening has heard of the 1MDB debacle, but Goldman Sachs, who were sadly very much involved in the 1MDB um, debacle, are now seeking to claw back around 174 million from current and former executives as a result of it, so given compensation, remuneration, and given what a rocky road 2020 was, Mike, any particular words of wisdom on how compliance can best help their firms in 2021 tackle the issues coming up?
1: Well, I think that um, I, I think that the one uh, point, if I could, if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one point of the points you mentioned, it was the need for risk. Uh, alignment and risk and compliance input to firms developing whatever remuneration policies that they have i mean firms remuneration committees subset of the board um, will have will approve remuneration policies um, and generally speaking from my experience the policy itself will have input from a risk uh, an hr operational area compliance p- possibly as well um, to uh, you, before it gets to the remuneration committee for approval but once you get into the application of the policy and obviously some of these the details of, of people's remuneration and compensation are quite sensitive and sometimes that can be used as a bit of an escape clause for firms to not to not circulate these policies or at least the application of these policies um, more widely, so at that stage, then maybe risk and compliance officers don't really get the the input that they need to do so. Um, um, I think that uh, being a little contentious here, which, which we, because I'm, I'm 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 very aware that lots of firms, if not all of them, will think that their remuneration policies are great and 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 are working appropriately. But then, you know, the, the, the whole point of the whole issue of remuneration policies, you know, reminds me that perhaps, you know, the, the policy itself is perhaps put together in the letter of the rules. And maybe it's the spirit of the rules is maybe it's flexed, or, you know, when when they have to apply it to certain individuals. And that's that's a, a gray area that that that, that, that 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 is very difficult to say is non-compliant or is a breach and. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I think, just going back to the main point, I think more risk and compliance involvement in the formation of these policies and the analysis of the outputs as well, I guess.
0: Yeah, and that analysis is non-trivial and potentially quite tricky because so much of it should now, in the current environment, be qualitative and based, I mentioned culture at the start, based on the culture and conduct risk, so the how as well as the what, Um and that is judgmental and and you have to have a clear framework in which to take those judgment calls when we're back to transparency again and those must be very transparent to all concerned yes absolutely um, right yeah and it's and it, it it will always be an iterative process but there is a lot potentially going on in in the world of compensation and remuneration for compliance officers to yes. to get stuck into to be frank
1: Yes, absolutely, and and I mean, as things like um, senior management regimes get get embedded, and conduct becomes much more um, well embedded within firms. Uh, given that it's had ten years to do so, or more, or more, or more than that, you know, it needs to be more embedded in places. You know, these things will 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 become more uh, common for firms rather than something that's out of the, out of the ordinary.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. As a quick reminder, this covered one to five of the 10 things compliance officers need to consider in 2021. The next episode of the podcast will cover episodes or the elements six to 10. As ever, we do hope you found the the podcast both interesting and useful. For a download of the 10 Things article, please see the episode notes. Also in the episode notes is a download link for our report on FinTech, RegTech and the role of compliance, together with further information on Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence itself. Our 12th annual cost of compliance survey is still open, so if you would like to take part in that, the link for that is also in the episode notes, and that report will be published in Q2 of 2021. Last but not least, we would very much appreciate it if you would take the time to review the podcast and in particular, let us know any suggestions you may have for future topics to be discussed on Compliance Clarified. Goodbye. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.